0: And last week, we started on Easter Sunday a brand new series of messages that we're calling I Have My Doubts. And last week, we talked about how we can actually experience the benefit of the doubt. And we learned that from the life of Thomas, who was going through a season of struggle and doubt, but how he came to uh, find certainty in the person of Jesus. And today we're going to be in matthew chapter number 11 and as we continue on in this series today i want to bring a message today that i'm calling frustrated faith frustrated faith from matthew chapter number 11. if you are ready today would you say ready, ready. looking forward to this nine o'clock service thank you to our online audience for joining us as well this morning and uh, looking forward to what god is going to do today matthew chapter number 11. if you don't have a bible today there should be a bible in the seat back in front of you And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is yours. It's our gift to you. And uh, we want to be able to follow along in God's word today. So Matthew chapter number 11, verse number two. The Bible says this. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again. Everybody say again. Leave it in the chat today, again. He says again, those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Anybody thankful for that this morning? That is the mission statement of Jesus. Then he says, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born among women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in your house and to lift up your name and to worship you uh, for who you are, the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning or watching online that is going through a season of doubt or perhaps going through a season of struggle or uncertainty, God, I pray that today we can find clarity and not just clarity from uh, worldly wisdom or man's philosophy, but that we can find clarity from the scripture and from you. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us in a great way today. We love you in Jesus name. And everybody said Amen. growing up, I always wanted a tree house. Anybody with me wanting a tree house? I felt like if you had a tree house, you had really arrived as a child, right? Like that was like the best possible thing that you could have. And across the street from my house, there was an empty field. And right in the middle of that field, there was a large tree. And my brother and I thought this is the perfect place for a treehouse. And so one day we decided that we were going to go out and scope out this tree. And we convinced my sister, Christine, to come along with us. And so, me, my brother, and my sister, we went out to this tree and it was perfect. We were looking at the base and looking at how big it was. And we thought this is the perfect tree for a treehouse. And so, we said, let's climb the tree so we can get a better view and kind of see what we're working with. And so uh, we had my sister, Christine, go first. And so uh, we gave her uh, a boost and we kind of lifted her up and she got up into that tree. And when she got up there, she immediately panicked. Uh, she just was like, all of a sudden, I don't want to be up here anymore. She was like, get me down, get me down. She got a little nervous. And so uh, we were trying to convince her uh, to come down to us, but it was kind of high. And we said, OK, just jump. We'll catch you. And so we said, just jump. Everything's going to be fine. She's like, I don't want to jump. And we said, just jump. We're going to catch you. Just jump. Everything's going to be fine. And so she jumped. The only problem is I thought my brother was going to catch her, and he thought I was going to catch her. And so we both just watched her crash to the ground. And to make matters worse, unbeknownst to us, at the base of that tree was wrapped all with barbed wire. And so my sister, Christine, she fell down and she cut up her legs and was bleeding and crying. And my brother and I looked at each other like, we are in so much trouble right now. Like, this is not good. And so we had to pick her up and uh, we had to carry her all the way back to the house and, and uh, make sure that she was okay. You know, she jumped, she took a leap of faith, but it ended with frustration. And I thought about that and I thought so often in lives, we find ourselves in a similar condition where we step out in faith and we think things are going to be great and then we lose the job. We step out in faith, we think things are going to go great, and then a relationship falls apart. What started with faith oftentimes ends with frustration, and we live with a frustrated faith. The the Bible says this in the book of Psalms, chapter 55, verse 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Everybody say sustain. Sustain. He will sustain thee, and he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. I just want to encourage somebody right off the bat today. Jesus will never drop you. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will not suffer the righteous to be moved. Hey, you can trust in him. You can have faith in him. But why is it that even though we know that intuitively as followers of Jesus, that so often we are still frustrated? We know that He won't drop us. We know that He is faithful. We believe that He is sovereign, but often we are still wondering why something is taking so long in our lives. If God is so good, then why am I still hurting? If God is so good, then why am I still stuck in this season of pain? And if God is good and if God is in control, then why all the chaos and all of the turmoil? And we find ourselves oscillating between faith and frustration. I have faith, but also I'm frustrated. Because I want to see things come uh, differently. I want to see things come to light differently in my life. The Bible says in James 1:5, if any of you lack wisdom, which by the way, I'll just pause right there. That's all of us, okay? So we can go back to this verse. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. That's good news, that God is not going to, uh, uh, he abradeth not. He's not going to hold back wisdom when we go and we want to seek God and ask for wisdom. Uh, He abradeth not. And it shall be given him. But, Let him ask in faith. Everybody say, in faith. In faith, faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so James says, hey, if you want wisdom, ask God. But ask in faith, nothing wavering. He says, have some stability when it comes to your faith. Now, we come to Matthew chapter 11. And we find the cousin of Jesus, whose name is John. Sometimes he's called John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And we find him in a season of frustration, his faith is frustrated. And we come to this section where actually John finds himself in prison, and he is frustrated at the surrounding circumstances in his life. Now, John was an early adopter of Jesus. Uh, Before there was great crowds thronging around Jesus, John was preaching Jesus. John was saying, uh, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Uh, John was preaching Jesus. He was excited about Jesus. In fact, even in his mother's womb, he was excited about Jesus. We saw that uh, around Christmas time this year. The Bible says in Luke 141, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth, heard the salutation of mary the babe john leaped in her womb and elizabeth was filled with the holy ghost and so john was excited about jesus and he was preparing the way for the coming messiah and the bible says in matthew three eleven, i indeed baptize you with water this is john speaking he says i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than i speaking of jesus whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so I want you to see the character of John. He was a a bold character. He was someone that preached Jesus. He said in John 3, 3, uh, 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. By the way, what a great mantra, mantra for every servant leader at Rock Hill. Hey, he must increase. I must decrease. It's not about my position. It's not about my platform. It's not about my skill set. It's not about what opportunities I have. It's not about my recognition. He must increase. I must decrease. It's all about the mission of Jesus. It's all about the glory of Jesus and reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. He has to increase. I have to decrease. It's not about me. That was John's heart. And so John was a man that was preparing the way of Jesus. He was a humble man. But I want you to know also that John was a very bold man. Uh, John was not afraid to speak the truth. He was not afraid to confront someone with the truth. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, we find John. He's in prison. And the reason John is in prison is because uh, the ruler at the time of Galilee was a man named Herod Antipas. And Herod uh, had a brother named Philip, Philip the Tetrarch. And Philip was married to a woman named Herodias. And Herodias decided to step out on her marriage and to have an adulterous affair with her husband's brother, Herod. And so Herod was living in this adulterous uh, relationship, and John called him out on it. Uh, he, he said, hey, this is, this is not lawful for thee. In fact, it says in Matthew 14, 6, for John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And so John was not afraid to say, hey, you are living in sin. This is wrong. And I, as you can imagine, Herod didn't like that. Herodias didn't like that. And so they threw John in prison. And so that's why we find John in Matthew chapter number 11 in prison. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know, we are living in a generation where Christians are afraid and uncomfortable with the truth of Scripture. And we're living in a day where it's just, tell me what feels good. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul was talking about these end times. He was telling a young pastor, there's going to come a time when people don't want to hear sound doctrine. But after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers, watch this having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables and so he was saying there 's going to be a time coming when it 's just going to be about itching ears. Just tell me what feels good, tell me how awesome I am. tell me how great I am uh, don 't tell me that i 'm living in sin don 't tell me that I need to uh, correct something in my life, just I have itching ears, tell me what feels good, but we ought to have the kind of faith that Jude talked about in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And so we got to have some followers of Jesus that says, hey, it's not just about what is a great soundbite on Instagram. Or, hey, it's not about just what makes me feel good. And that was really inspirational. No, what is the truth of scripture? What is sound doctrine? We ought to earnestly contend for the faith. See, sometimes scripture is surgical in nature in that it hurts before it heals. And we just wanted to feel good. But John was a man that said, you know what? I'm going I'm to confront and I'm going to preach the truth. And he was bold in that. Uh, this past week on Easter Sunday, there was, uh, there was a tweet that went out that kind of made headlines. In fact, it made national, national headlines. You might have seen it. It was by Reverend Warnock. And he tweeted this out. The meaning of Easter is, which by the way, I think, I think since then he has deleted this. But he says, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. I hope that you can recognize the absolute falsity and error of that statement. That, that that the meaning of Easter is not more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The meaning of Easter is all about the resurrection of Christ. And we as Christians believe that the resurrection is not just a component to our faith. It is the very center of our faith. It is the foundation of our faith. And Paul said, hey, if the resurrection didn't happen of all men, we are most miserable. We're just wasting time if the resurrection didn't happen. And no, we can't save ourselves. We need a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And so today we need to stand for truth and stand for sound doctrine. That was John. But even with all of John's courage and boldness and humility, he had his doubts. He had his struggles. He had his frustration. And today from Matthew chapter 11, I want us to see that even though he had some struggles and even though he had some doubts, how we can learn from this passage and how we can uh, gain some clarity and some certainty in a moment in a time of frustration. Are you ready today? I want to give us three ways that we can fortify our faith against doubt and frustration. Number one today is this, determine the source. When it comes to doubt, when it comes to frustration, I think it's, it's first and foremost important to identify the source, to determine where this frustration and doubt is coming from. And in this passage, we see three common sources for doubt. And I want to give them to you. Is it okay if I teach a little bit today? And I want to give you three common sources for doubt. Number one is a difficult situation. When we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we tend to lean towards doubt or to frustration. Now, we find John in a difficult situation. Notice it in verse 2. Now, when John had heard in the prison, and so John was locked up. John was in prison. He was going through a difficult time. And what we see is that this difficulty triggered his doubt. And so often suffering is the catalyst for doubt. When we're going through a hard time, we ask a lot of questions like why and how and and, and how could this be? And so we see that this difficult situation was a source of his doubt. Charles Spurgeon said this, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. And I have found that to be true even over the last uh, 16 months or so that we have seen uh, uh, the truth come out and we have seen so, so much uh, a character revealed uh, through difficult seasons. And so uh, we see this difficult situation. I want you to see how John responds to it. Everybody with me? Verse 2. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art. Thou he that should come. This is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. This is the one that already preached that Jesus was the Messiah. This was the one that already said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And now, in this moment of doubt, because of a difficult situation, he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, Are you really the one? See, I want you to know that none of us are immune to doubt, that the crisis of faith can uh, creep into all of our hearts. And John was, was, was hurting in this difficult situation. And he says, are you he that should come? But I want you to know that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Uh, Al- Alistair McGrath, he's a theologian from Ireland, he said this, Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. And so what we see in John's life is he was not uh, uh, completely rejecting Jesus. What he wanted was clarification. Uh, what he wanted was some certainty. He was struggling and he was doubting, and so he sends his disciples to Christ. By the way, it's okay to doubt and it's okay to ask questions, but when you do, make sure that you're going to the right person. Make sure that you're going to the right source. See, when, when John had his doubts, what did he do? He went directly to Jesus. He went directly to the right source. He wanted some clarification, but he wanted clarification from Jesus. And so we see this was a difficult situation. And so often doubt arises because we find ourselves in a trial or a difficulty. But the second source of doubt or cause of doubt is unmet expectation. So often the reason why we struggle and we vacillate and oscillate is because of unmet expectation. I remember several years ago, Katie and I we were in Oceanside, and one evening I was really craving red robin because how many of you know that bottomless fries with the seasoning at Red Robin is like uh, the, the height of taste bud satisfaction, right? Like that is, that is awesome uh, at Red Robin. So Kate and I, we were thinking, let's go to Red Robin, but we didn't know if there was a Red Robin by us. And so I looked it up on maps and I typed in Red Robin and sure enough, one came up and I said, it's 30 minutes away, but I said, worth it. Okay. So let, let's get in the car and uh, let's drive there. So we drove And uh, about 30 minutes later, we were in kind of a random neighborhood. We were kind of going up a hill, and I was thinking, this is kind of a weird spot for a Red Robin. Like, this is odd. And so we were driving around, and then the GPS said, you have arrived at your destination. And I looked up, and there was a sign that said, Red Robin Street. And it was just taking me to a neighborhood. That that was extreme disappointment right there. I had some great expectations of a great night, only to find out that this was just some random neighborhood 30 minutes away. And uh, that was extremely disappointing. You know, expectation often leads us to a place of frustration. When we have expectations of how we want things to go and how we think that things should go and how we think that Jesus should work in our lives. And if we're not careful, we will idolize our expectations. And what we see is John had expectations. In verse number three, he said, art thou he that should come? Or watch this, he says, or do we seek another? Is there some, see, there were some things about this situation, about John being in prison, that just didn't make sense to him. Because if Jesus was the Messiah, then why was he in prison? See, John had some expectations of how he thought that things should go. Because the Old Testament prophesied about what would happen when the Messiah would come. Uh, The Bible says in Isaiah, prophesying about Jesus in Isaiah 61, verse number 1, The Spirit of the Lord uh, God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim uh, liberty to the captives. And watch this last part. In the opening of the prison to them that are bound. John's like, that's what I want to hear right now. That's what I want to see. If you are the Messiah, then why are you not opening up these prison doors and, and these prison gates? And why can't I go free? If you are really the Messiah, then why is this happening? John had some expectations. Those expectations led him to a place of frustration. Why is this happening this way? Uh, th- this isn't the way that it was supposed to go. There was a difficult situation. There was unmet expectations. And so often we are imprisoned by our expectations. I thought that by now I'd be making this much. And by now I thought I'd be married and with kids. And by now I thought I'd have this much in retirement. I'd be living in this home and, and, uh, and we have so many expectations, but I want you to know that sometimes God does not meet our expectations because he wants to exceed our expectations. Some of you ought to thank God that God does not sink to the level of your expectations. Because the Bible still says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is able to do abundantly, exceedingly, above all that we ask or think. God has a good plan for your life. He has a great plan for your life. And by the way, his plan is far greater than your plan. John had a difficult situation, an unmet expectation, but thirdly, he had a limited perception. And so often the reason why we struggle with doubt is because we can't see the whole picture. We have a limited perception of how God is working. We can see what we see and we can feel our pain and we can feel our hurt, but we don't see how God is working in the entirety of the situation. We have a limited perception perception the bible says in 1st corinthians 13:12 for now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now i know in part but then shall i know even as also i am known so often we traverse through life with a limited perception but that is why we must walk by faith and not by sight and trusting that god has a plan and that god is in control even when we can't see it and so number 1 today i would say determine the source What is the source of your frustration? What is the source of your doubt? Is it an unmet expectation? Is it a difficult situation? Is it a limited perspective? Identify the source. Here's the second thought today, number two. If we're going to fortify our faith, number two is this. Embrace the solution. I'm thankful to be able to tell you today that there is a solution for doubt and that you can have victory, you can experience hope, you can conquer those feelings of uncertainty. There is a solution because Jesus tells us what the solution is, even in this chapter and even in this passage. And so, uh, John goes to Jesus and he says, Are you really the one? He's having some doubts. He's in prison, he's in darkness, and he's thinking, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And I love Jesus' response. And we're going to look at it in Matthew's gospel. But, we, but but before we get into it in Matthew's gospel, I want us to see in Luke's gospel uh, a parallel account of this passage, how Jesus responds. Uh, because I love that Luke gives us a little bit more detail. Luke chapter 7, verse number 20, I think we have the verse today. It says this, when the men were come unto him, who are the men? The two disciples that John sent, right? And so when the men were come unto him, they said, John uh, the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Okay, so so picture the scene. The two disciples, they show up to Jesus, and they say, hey, John sent us. He wants to know, are you really the Messiah? And watch how Jesus responds. And in the same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. I love this. Jesus responds by demonstrating his deity. He says, you want to know the answer to your question? The proof is in the power. He says, Oh, oh, John wants to know. hold that thought one second. And he goes and he heals the sick and he gives sight to the blind. And then he says, what was your question again? He pauses and he shows his power. Now, notice in our passage in verse number four, we see a little bit more insight. Everybody with me today? Verse four, Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again. He says, go and show John again those things which you do here and see. He says, hey, uh, go and show him again again. See, this is stuff that John already knew. John already had preached some of these things. He had already proclaimed some of these things, and Jesus says, go and show him again. See, one of the reasons why we can have a frustrated faith, and one of the reasons why doubt comes up in our lives is because so often, if you've been around church, you've been around scripture, you already know the verses that you need to read, and it can be frustrating because you already know the books to read. You already know that you're supposed to have prayer. You already know that you're supposed to get counsel, in fact, you, you would know how to counsel someone else that's going through a difficult season just like you're going in. And so often the reason we're frustrated is because we already know. This was stuff that John already knew. But so often what we need is not some new revelation. What we need is to be reminded of what God already told us. We need to get reacquainted with Scripture. See, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1, he said to the church at Philippi, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Paul said, I'm going to tell you some of the same things. I'm going to reiterate myself. I'm going to repeat myself. And it's not grievous. In fact, for you, it is safe. There is safety in repetition. There is safety in getting reacquainted with scripture. There is safety in going back to the word of God and back to the word of God and back to Jesus. And hey, you might say, I already know. I already know that answer. And I already know that verse. But go back to it and trust him for what he has said. Uh, Jesus looks at the disciples He says, tell John, tell John again. Uh, tell John, again, go back to him and remind him once again of the things which you do see in here. The Bible says in Second Peter 3, 1, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Remembrance. This past Sunday, uh, we went to my in-law's house, and they wanted to have uh, an egg hunt for Uh, The kids, and so uh, they uh, scattered some eggs uh, around the yard and they wanted to kind of up the ante a little bit, and so they decided to put some uh, cash in some of the eggs. They put some $5 bills in there, and I think in the the big egg there was even $10, and so the kids were really excited about that. The only problem is they forgot where they hid the eggs, and so we were out there for a long time just looking around, and and, uh, there are still money eggs hidden in their yard right now that we could not find. You know, some of the best facts. And most encouraging verses in scriptures are going to have little value if we don't know them, if we don't remember them, if we forget them. And so Jesus says, go and tell him again. He needs to be reminded and reacquainted with, with scripture, the things that I have taught. And so what we see is that Jesus says, go and tell him again. And in doing this, he gives a solution. And the solution is twofold. You, you ready for it? The first solution that he gives John is scripture itself. Because notice verse 5. He says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And so what we see here is that he's actually quoting Old Testament scripture. This was, uh, he's pulling from five sections of, from uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 8, 26, 29. He's pulling from these passages. Now, the book of Isaiah is filled with messianic uh, prophecy. In fact, many people call Isaiah the fifth gospel because it contains so much prophecy concerning Jesus. And so Jesus is pointing him back to scripture. And what he's saying to John is, hey, he's, he's doubting, he's hurting, he's going through a hard time. What does he need the most? Scripture. Hey, hey, point him back to Scripture. Point him back to what Isaiah prophesied would happen. Hey, what Isaiah prophesied would happen when the Messiah would come, that's happening. And and so he's pointing him to Scripture and he's encouraging him with Scripture. See, when we are experiencing a crisis of faith, what we often do is we just kind of give ourselves empty cliches or empty platitudes, and we just say, hey, everything's going to be fine, and and, uh, hey, you're going to get through this. But what we need is not an empty platitude. What we need is the gospel. What we need is the words of Christ. What we need is the scripture to reinforce our faith with scripture. And so we quote scripture. But then the second thing that we need, uh, the second solution that Jesus offers when we're going through a time of doubt or frustration is simply this, submission. See, one of the last things that we like to do in life is to submit, right? We want to do everything we can to to be in control and to fight against it. Uh, But what Jesus says here is so profound, and he gives this really this rule for satisfaction, this rule for happiness, and really that rule is submission. I want you to see it in verse number six. I love what Jesus says here. Everybody with me? Notice verse six. He says, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. We're living in a day and age where we are offended all of the time for everything. I love how the Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. People that are offended all the time, they're really in the lack of God's word in their heart. Because if you love the word of God and you are spending time in the word of God, then great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And what Jesus says here is, blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. He says, John, I know that things are going differently than how you thought they would go. I know that you have some unmet expectations, but I want you to know that blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me when you're not frustrated in my plan. See, when what you experience is different than what you expected, don't be offended. Blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. See, what we need to do is learn to submit to God's plan and say, you know what, this doesn't make sense to me. You know what, I am frustrated. Yeah, I have some doubts. I have some, uh, some questions that I'd like answered, but I'm going to trust that God is in control and I am not. And I want to trust that God has a plan that I can't see. And so I'm going to continue searching and pursuing answers. But I'm going to stay in the fold. I'm going to stay committed in this season, even when I have some doubts. And even when I have some struggles, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to submit to God's sovereignty. Blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. The Bible says in Psalm 62, verse number 8, trust in him at all times. Everybody say all times. All times. Leave it in the chat today. All times, ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Think on that. The Bible says in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and you might think, well, how can I rejoice in a season of pain? How how can I have a season of joy right in the middle of hurting? If if my loved one is is hurting or if I'm carrying a great pain or a great uh, debt in my life, how can I have joy? Well, Paul says to the church at Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. We don't have to rejoice in our pain. We don't have to rejoice because of the hurt or because of the trial or the tragedy, but we always have reason to rejoice in the Lord because he is always good and his mercy endures forever. And so no matter what we're facing in life, I want to tell you today that God is always good. He's always in control. He always has a plan. He's always sovereign. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so today we have to determine the source, but then we can embrace the solution. What's the solution? Found in scripture, found in submission, And then there's a third component today, number three, and we'll be done. We can advance with stability. So if we're going to fortify our faith, at some point we have to advance. At some point we have to take the next step. We have to move forward, right? We started this year with a series called One Small Step. And we talked about the power of taking one small step and to move forward. And what we see today is that uh, Jesus is going to talk about how we can advance with stability. Okay, I want you to see it in verse 7. And as they departed, okay, so who's departing? Those two disciples, right, that went and asked Jesus the question. As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John. And I've always found this interesting. Jesus is about to talk about John. And he's about to say some great things about John. He's about to say that there is, uh, he's the greatest man to be born among women. How many of you would say, that's a compliment, right? Like, Jesus is about to gas John up. He's about to say, man, John is is doing incredible. But John never heard it. Because it was as the disciples departed. They left, they walked away. Jesus turned to the crowd and he started to talk about John. But John never heard that affirmation. Why would Jesus do that? Don't you think John would have been encouraged to hear some of those things? Why would Jesus wait until the disciples left before he started to compliment John's character? Because Jesus wanted John to focus on Jesus and not to focus on John. When we're going through a hard time and we're struggling, our focus shouldn't be on self or on circumstance. Our focus should be on Jesus. I'm gonna look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. So Jesus starts to talk about John and he starts to give him great Compliments and affirmation. You know, sometimes in life we're not going to get the affirmation that we desire, we're not going to get the recognition that we want. And that might be a source of frustration. Nobody sees how hard I'm working. Nobody sees what I'm doing. Nobody sees all the effort that I'm putting into. Man, I'm working behind the scenes and I never get complimented. I never get recognized. Someone else is always getting all the attention. But I want to remind you that the Bible says in Proverbs that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. And we do not do what we do for the recognition of man. We do it for a reward from the Lord. We do it to please him who has called us to be a soldier. See, we serve and we sing for the audience of one. Jesus and so you might not get the affirmation that you desire but that's not why we serve that's not why we love and do what God has called us to do so John he's in prison Jesus starts to talk about John and I want you to see what Jesus says about him notice verse 7 and as they departed Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John what went ye out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken with the wind Now, people would go out to the wilderness. They would hear John preach. By the way, you know you have to be uh, some sort of preacher. People are going all the way out to the wilderness to hear you preach. People were going from all over to hear John preach. And Jesus said, did you go out to uh, uh, find a man that was a reed shaken with the wind? He said, of course not. He was a man of stability, a man of commitment. Yes, he had questions. Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus was commending his stability even in his struggle? John was the one saying, are you really the one? And Jesus turns around and said, hey, hey, he's a man of stability. Yeah, he had questions. Yeah, he wasn't perfect. He didn't have uh, every single thing figured out, but he had stability. He had commitment. He said, you know what? I want to go to the right source for the answers. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive constantly back and forth all over the place. That wasn't John. He had stability. Notice verse 8. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. He says, hey, he was a rough and tough character. He wasn't wearing soft clothes. He wasn't wearing a snuggie. He was a bold character. He was eating locusts and growing out his beard. And and I I love that about John. Because that was a statement against self-centeredness. He lived his life in a way that said, "I don't need to fit in, I don't need to be fashionable, I don't need to be the one that's always being noticed and seen." Hey, I'm going to live my life contrary to culture. He said, "Jesus, said, what did you go out to see? A man of instability, a man that was just wearing uh, the soft clothing in the king's houses?" No, John lived his life in a way that was contrary to culture. He was committed to the cause. Jesus goes on, in verse nine, "But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yeah, send you more than a prophet. How, how could Jesus say that?" What did he mean there? John was more than a prophet. The reason that Jesus could say John is more than a prophet is because John was a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, he was a prophet, but he was a fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible talked about uh, in Malachi, one that would come to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. That was fulfilled in John. And John had this responsibility to declare Jesus. And I want you to know today that you might say, man, that's a privileged calling that John had. He was the one to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one to point people to Jesus. Can I tell you today that we have the exact same calling that we are called and that we have been chosen to point people to Jesus? In fact, Charles Spurgeon said that a Christian is simply to be a signpost that points other people to Jesus. The same calling that was on John's life is on our lives as well. We're to point others to Christ. Jesus is talking about John and how he was preaching and delivering the gospel message. I want you to know that even though John struggled and had doubt, that God used his struggle and that God used his suffering for his glory. And I want you to see how he did it. And I'm going to read one more verse today, but I want to invite you to join me in standing as we read it. How did God use John's suffering? The Bible says this in Luke chapter 9, verse number 7. Now Herod the tetrarch heard of all that was done by him. Who is he talking about here? Jesus. So Herod is hearing about the works of Jesus. And watch what it says. And he was perplexed. He was like, wait, who is this? Jesus? He, he, he's performing miracles? He's teaching? Crowds were like, who is this? Because that it was said of some that John, the baptizer, John the cousin of Jesus, some had said John was risen from the dead. Is this John come back to life? Because see, because of the affair with Herodias and Herod, uh, they eventually beheaded John the Baptist. He lost his life, and then Jesus came onto the scene and started teaching, performing miracles, and all of a sudden Herod said, "Did John come back? This is bad news." He's like, "Oh no, I, th- I think John has has risen from the dead." And of some that Elias had appeared. Maybe this is Elias the prophet. And others said the one, uh, that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John, have I beheaded? But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. See, Herod paid attention to Jesus because of John. John's suffering contributes to the glory of Jesus. Jesus. More people wanted to hear about Jesus because of John. Because of the testimony of John and how he lost his life. More people were pointed to Jesus. Can I encourage you today, if you are frustrated, if you are lonely, if you are struggling, that God can redeem your struggle and point more people to himself. And God can be glorified and God can be magnified even in the midst of your difficulty, even in the midst of your trial. God can redeem that for his purpose. And so if you're frustrated today, you're frustrated in your faith, determine the source, embrace the solution, and then advance with stability. I'm not going to be a reed shaking in the wind. I'm going to be committed. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.